welcome to the very 75th episode of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, a podcast all about board games, board games, and the people who love them. I'm Matt Lees, joined by Quentin Smith and, and Paul Dean, Hello. live in one room. Together, facing each other in a circle of... Three people. Happiness, I was going to say. Three people happy. That's why also it sounds a bit echoey, because we're in a hotel room and we've just finished a week at GDC, which is the Game Developers Conference to do with video games and board games increasingly. Uh, But we run an area where people can just drop by and play board games, which is a fun way for us to take a lot of the games that we've played and loved throughout the last year, put them in front of lots of people, and broadly work out whether or not we are right about anything. It's a bit intimidating, isn't it? Because, you know, you have this moment where all these great game design minds come to the board game lounge and say, what's the best thing you got? And you're like, well, I hope this is still good because I reviewed it six months ago. Yeah, and and people play them, and then most of the time they go, yeah, I really like this. And we're like, okay, we... We do vaguely know what we're doing. (laughs) Yep, it's a relief. Um, So today we're going to be talking about a few games that we've been playing uh, outside of GDC. We're going to be talking about Star Wars Legion, Puzzle, Gami, Age of Steam, uh, a new prototype game for Empires, uh, and uh, yeah, talking a bit about what games stood the test of many game developers playing them and and were still good. Or even just, yeah, some experiences I've had. There have been a few games this week I've played a lot, and if you'd asked me at the start of the week which games I was going to play the most... I might not have guessed the way it panned out. So what were those? What were those games that you ended up repeatedly returning to? I played Ethnos four times in like two days. And I would have played it another four times over another two days. I would have played that more. That was my first Ethnos experience and I really liked it. It's good. Would you like to describe Ethnos? It was a uh, video review Matt and I did on the site last year. Ethnos is spelt... It's like ethnic. It, it, it's just a, it's a weird name. Yep. <laughs> it, from out of the gate, it sounds like something mm. to do with eugenics, and it, I don't know. It's got a weird theme as well. well. It's got the most generic theme. It's like this. You have this island. I don't know why. It's got halflings and dwarves and elves and the generic and wizards are a race of people. <laughs> um, and you want to put as many of your circular discs. I don't know what they stand for, but you've got to have the most of them in each area to get the fantasy points. Uh, it's you, a card game. It, well, a, the kind of is you collect sets of cards. It's don't an you? And incredibly these, generic fantasy card game. Area control game. I mean, in both. terms of the it's aesthetic, like yeah. it's just it's unbelievably uh, fine. It's so generic, <laughs> but it's it's very good. You've got to what collect these sets of cards. You play a set of cards that allows you to put a token in a space and mm-hmm. control it. But almost always, you once you've played your cards, the other cards go away. So you're always collecting them, thinking which of these can I keep, which do I burn. And then can I trigger a power with some cards that lets me quickly do a thing? I didn't, because the theme is so fantastical, it didn't occur to me, but now we've played it a whole load more at GDC, and it's still so good. I've realised the thing it is, is it's Ticket to Ride with Orcs. Yeah, you know, actually, Sig, one of our volunteers, was a person who's yeah, a great game designer. He immediately yeah. said that. He was like, this is Ticket to Ride with Orcs. I was like, yes, oh, oh, yes. No, it exactly is. It's just you're not actually making any physical train lines. No, instead you're trying to do very clever things whereby if a troll is the one to lead your army of blue cards, then you get a troll token... But it's a fun thing of like, it's not quite <laughs> wacky in the same way that, because oh, I, I no, think we forgot. There's no jokes in this. I think, <laughs> no, I mean in terms of... Very serious. I think we forgot to mention really is the fact that like, when you play the game, there are like 12 different races you can use and you just play with six of them randomly and they each uh, have powers that do slightly different things when you play sets of cards with those guys at the front of them. And um, they each change the game in a, a small way, but usually they change the pace of the game or like the tone of it slightly. Mm-hmm. And it kind of has that slight kind of cosmic encounter, slight randomizer effect, but it's not as wacky. It's just, 
it just it's just kind of interesting. It means when you play, you're like, oh, this affects the pace of the game in this way, or this affects the way I play slightly. Mm. But it's just the sort of game that you can very basically play without thinking about too much. And it's so fast that even when you're playing it really yeah. slowly and just chatting and the game is getting like slowed down tremendously, it doesn't drag because it's really just lightning surprised. fast. Yeah, really you- surprised that so many of the rounds are just like you draw a card and you either play a thing or, or that's it. Yeah, and it moves around to the next person. Matt was telling me that when he was playing with you, Paul, uh, there were instances where he would say, "It's your turn, Paul," and you go, "No, I, I just took my turn." Like, no, it's your, yeah. it's your turn again. Yeah. All the way around the table. And I think, that, is there a name for that? Because it's like the opposite of analysis yes, paralysis. It's mm-hmm. fast, fast. <laughs> but no, it's like that happened to me when I was playing. I was like, people were like, "It's your turn." I'm like, "No, no, it's not. I just..." T-. And it's like, "Yep." Because <laughs> sometimes, like, it's just like everyone draws a card, everyone draws a card, and you just draw one card, and it can just rock it around. It really is, but. Every time I had to make it, I mean, everything crashed when I made a decision. It's a game where, like, all the things that you do are very, very simple, but there are lots of possibilities, lots yeah. of things that can knock off from you deciding whether you pick up this card and this card or play this combo, this combo. And that, there are just periods where that ruined me completely. And I, you know what? I still wouldn't buy it because I hate what? the colours of those plastic ships, but <laughs> which is so dumb. But it's also the sort of game that I quietly would be very happy if friends of mine bought and owned it and then we went round to the house and they were like, do you want to play? I'm like, yeah. Yeah. It really bums me out that I don't think it has sold as well as it could have done, um, which is a shame because it's so good. But it's also mm. a shame because the rumor I heard from a person is that there are like expansions waiting in the wings and ah. there are ideas. And obviously a board game needs to sell quite well for them to do the expansion, yes. but that means I am being denied my sweet, sweet ethnos because it is... Because so- we didn't recommend it as strongly? <laughs> Oh, no, I am done. <laughs> uh, briefly, we should talk a bit about um, Fog of Love, um, because we have just put up a big, uh, flashy video review of this on the site. Mm, yeah, um, It's a game by Jacob Jaskoff, a Danish uh, sociologist, uh, and it's amazing. It simulates romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. And I've been dragging all the people I know, uh, like sort of tastemakers and quote-unquote influencers and game designers to come and play it, because I'm like, you just have to play this. And it was wonderful because, you yeah. know what? We, we got to watch so many people play Fog of Love this week and it was always different. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Were, and of course, this might be exciting to people, but you were playing with... Um, Matt was in a relationship with Tim Schafer I at one was. point. <laughs> yeah. Famous video game designer who makes... He makes a whole bunch of stuff. Obviously, he was famously involved back in the day in Monkey Island and Day of the Tentacle, probably one of my all-time formative in terms of sense of humor, I think, uh, when I was very young. And then obviously Psychonauts, you know, hugely yes. popular. And in recent years, they've done lots of stuff which has been like uh, very beloved and very kind of cult classic stuff like, oh, I forgot the names. There's lots of things I haven't played, actually. Massive Chalice. Massive Double Chalice. Um, the, 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 what was the metal one? The, the Jack Black oh uh, oh Brutal Legend Brutal Legend which was like I think very imperfect but much beloved by a lot of people and I really liked the double fine thing what's it called The Broken Age I quite like that I thought it had a lot of charm Anyway, tremendously anyway. inventive video game designers. Yeah, very yeah. funny man, very kind man. What was it like to be having sex with him <laughs> in a relation in a, in, in a board game? Well, it was pretty intense. <clears throat> uh, we had a uh, everything was very. Uh, straight and simple to begin with and then there was a very quick flurry of cards in which we accidentally had unprotected sex and then I revealed after that with a different card actually this is that was maybe the first time I'd ever had sex which oh, was okay wow. and then oh, wow. and then he slash she he was I think it was oh was it Loretta I was David and Loretta David I, oh, I like a, that name I was a fashion model Oh, really? And Loretta was, I think, a dancer. And she took your innocence. Yeah, uh, and then she revealed that she was bisexual. Um, and then uh, I think she got pregnant. 
And then he had to go to a meeting. <laughs> <laughs> See, I wasn't sure if that was it just in the game or... No, 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 no. Loretta, I play a card, I've got to go to buy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't actually get a sense of, of how much uh, Tim had enjoyed the game or found the game interesting. I think he said he found it interesting, but I think it was uh, late in the week and I yes. think it's a game that is best approached with a degree of energy because I think it's very fun. And yeah. um, I was pretty tired at that point and uh, I had fun with it, but... Um, yeah. I, I bore witness to a shocking game and I feel really privileged that I got to see it, but uh, Laura Hudson... <laughs> Um, who's a, a friend I of, heard about of this. Uh, mine and my wife's, and she's the culture editor at uh, The Verge. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, oh, I hope maybe we can get her to write about it. And she played a game, and she made, ooh, what was her character's name? It was Petra. And Petra's uh, occupation at the start of the game was criminal. That's fine. I've played a criminal in Fog of Love before. She played a very different criminal to me. She played... Uh, kind criminal of, of love? <laughs> basically, yeah. She played wow. a bit of a monster. And uh, due to the scenario we were demoing, it features a moment whereby um, uh, at the beginning of chapter two or something in your love story, about 40 minutes into the game, you have to decide what would break your heart. It's a conversation that comes up and you have two options. One of which is you can select, it would break my heart if we broke up. And the mm-hmm. other one is, it would break my heart if I wasn't true to myself. Yes. So uh, Petra's... They pick different choices. Petra's like, I want to be true to myself. And her partner said, oh no, it'd break my heart if we broke up. But that means that player had to discard the sort of destiny, the victory condition of Mm. honorable exit, which Mm. is basically the card you play if you think your partner is playing towards heartbreaker. Mm -hmm. But uh, Petra's partner had to discard it. And so Petra in the fiction knew that this person was just wildly in love with her. So she knew she could safely play towards Heartbreaker, which meant for the final, like, 45 minutes of the game, she was just trying to make him sad and be dominant. And, like, there was even a card where, like, lovely Chef Steve bought her flowers and she played the card that's Crocodile Tears. She just burst into tears, like, you don't care about me, you're just doing this to manipulate me. And it was hideous. Oh, no. But, like, super entertaining. Like, everyone around the table, the observers and the players were like, oh, my goodness. But it was <laughs> it was kind of entertaining. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's some amazing stuff coming out of it. And I think that, like, it was interesting. We had lots of conversations originally. And one thing we forgot to mention when we first talked about this in the podcast and didn't talk about in the review is uh, somebody asked us in the Q&A at PAX Unplugged when we did a live podcast and talked about this for the first time, would we play this with our partners? And we were both like, no. But we've kind of forgot to qualify that neither of our partners are really into playing board games, which is an important part of it. Yeah. However, one thing I've seen this week of watching a couple, couple of couples playing the yes. game is it does appear that um, A, couples when playing it together, it's the complete opposite of being like a party game. When I saw people playing it as friends, they attracted big crowds as the game went on and people were raucous and fun and having fun with it. As couples games went on, people actually drifted away and left them to it because I think it was much more of a kind of like, people felt like they were kind of infringing on a space rather than having a jolly time. so curious. And again, I can't say this is a broader thing because this was just a small observation. But I think it was interesting and talking to people, it felt like actually even when they were just playing just them and their partner in a public space with people in the area, they kind of felt like they were trying to play their character but they also didn't want to be seen to be being too unpleasant or mean or conflicting with their partner. Wanted their character to be some reflection of who they felt they were in the context of their relationship. I think, you, I don't, what was it you said, that if you're going to play Fog of Love as a couple, I think it could be great, it could be magical, yeah. but you want to do it with no one else there. Yeah, I think we kind of, because we were talking about this to somebody last night, and I think it's, if you're going to do that, you do it at home in the context where, because it is a sort of game that brings up evocative stuff, and sometimes it's funny and fun, but sometimes it's faintly melancholic. And if it's something that's faintly melancholic to do with your current relationship, you want to have the space to then maybe 
Talk about that if you need to. And if you've got eight friends around laughing and being like, you should break up with this son of a gun. Maybe that's not going to be great for you. It it, it is an incredible spectator sport, almost. Relationships, yeah. Well, yeah, that's a separate discussion for another time. But playing, I played the game with Jonathan Ying and we, it ended with like, Ten people around us or something clapping when we got the conclusion that we did. I didn't. I hadn't even noticed that many people had gradually been gathering because you, as a player, obviously you only know your own secret personality traits and your objective goals and things like this and the cards in your hand. But other people can just wander between the two of you and work out what both of you yeah. are sort of aiming for yeah. in life and immediately see. Like I don't know in the way that mutual friends do immediately like mm, they're the only oh, people that can kind of work. see yeah like or, both ooh, people think that's... oh maybe it'll work and then you look at them both and you go this is never this going is... to work to seeing some of the things that I did when I hovered and looked at oh uh, yeah people's... we had some real messes like right from the bat you're like oh gosh and, that, is, and especially because it is a strange game and the fact that the scenarios you play through very much use the first scenario just as a testing ground to yes. get a vague idea of what the other person might be about but nothing bad really happens you always feel like you're working together at that point or to, trying to yeah to clarify we were demoing the game but I chose to drop people in at the deep end where yeah. if you buy a copy of Fog of Love it's very gentle initially and much more funny and whereas we were demoing the now we're going to play with the heartbreaker cards yep. we're going to mm. enable this to be really raw and unpleasant yeah because oh, we're mean boy. But it went down almost consistently very well. It did indeed. So just to uh, mention one more time, this game is called Fog of Love. In Europe, it is available from all sorts of board game resellers. But if you are an American listening to this, (laughs) it's a Walmart exclusive. Mm. And the thing that we kept Uh. getting this week is I would tell people it's a Walmart exclusive and people would say, I don't even know where my nearest Walmart is. They have a website... They have a website. You can order Frog of Love from their website. From a website? I think you're going to tell them to go on the website and just ask. Oh, where, where is my Walmart? Walmart? No. But if you want to know more about the game, do be sure to check out our video review in which I was forced, for reasons will become clear, to remove some of my clothes. Ooh. I, I literally don't remember that. Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long week. Uh, uh, right, so Fog of Love. Uh, do mm-hmm. we want to briefly talk about uh, one or two other things we played at GDC before we move on to some of the other review can we, copies? Can we, we really play? quickly touch? Did you both played Baron Park? I Baron did. Park. That I was played hugely it again. Popular. Speaking of Tim Schafer, that was the first. He'd made a beeline for that before anything else. Mm. Broke it out and immediately won. I think Baron <laughs> Park is lovely. I think it's a really... Of all of the let's place shapes down and make them all line up and be efficient with use of grids and placing cardboard on them, it's my favourite because... Really? Yeah, it's somehow less punishing and less like frustrating. I don't get stressed whilst playing it. I just have fun with it. And I, I think my favourite thing about it actually is the fact that you can at any point just fill in gaps with single squares. Toilets. But they're toilets. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the fact that like I love the context of that, of being like you're trying to make a fun park full of bears and then you like... The fact that you can look down at your board and say... My park is just full of toilets. Is like It's kind of a wonderful way of being like... It's quite clear that you've made a... a traditionally bad park. theme park but also that you're not doing well at the game but, and, <laughs> and I like said that. that you one of the victory conditions can just be having six of these green 
uh, types of tile next to each other. So yeah. if you can put six toilets in a row, you get a lot of points. No, you're going to lose. <laughs> Trust me. Like it's just right. not. It's so much of it is about filling up space, and it's a very fast game. And I think my yeah. favorite thing about it is it's very quick to teach. Mm-hmm. It's very quick to set up. It's very quick to play, and then counting up scores is takes like ten seconds. Yeah. If people have missed this, this is Baron Park. It, it Paul did a video review on this last year, um, and yeah, it's a straightforward game of building a sort of bear. Park, park, right? Is that a bear zoo? Bear, a bear park with mostly bears as attractions doing a sort of furry Tetris where you put the... There put, you go, furry Tetris. Yeah, that's done. a two words. <laughs> that's a, a range of these things. But also, one, the other reason, by the way, that it's so fast is a lot of the tiles, there's only one of each and there is a sort of sub-tactic in the game where you can take tiles and if they don't fit in your park, it doesn't matter. You just... You just denied the other players. It has a thing of like time. as well. People just race off and build a big park, and if you're busy with toilets, and suddenly it's like, oh, they've got a four-tile park, which means the game is now pretty much ending. Mm. And actually, talking of that, I, we played Ex Libris this week, and I yeah. found the same thing. I played the first game of it, and I just monstered two strangers. But that was one of those games where I just shot ahead and just built a very big bookshelf very quickly, and you everyone else went, build "Whoa, a lot of what happened? That very well, how fast. did you do that?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'm sorry, the game's yeah. ending now." And uh, yeah. I did that in Azul. Uh, we've got Paul's Ex Libris review coming up on the site in a bit. But yeah, yeah, very soon. Also, we got the chance to play a whole load of Azul this week. That was really stress tested. Mm. I didn't uh, get a chance to play that, which is oh a no. shame. It's a real shame, but never oh mind. No. Uh, yeah, Azul, yet another game. We've got a nice video review of on the site. It's not really a surprise, I guess, because we tend to do video reviews of the game we like the most. So, of course, at GDC, we'll have video reviews of all this stuff. But uh, yeah, I'm bad at Azul, guys. I yeah. just can't. It's bizarre because usually I play board games and I kind of get them. It's kind of my job and, mm-hmm. I, and I'm able to work really well and I tend to win. And then in Azul, like, <laughs> I just can't fathom it. Yeah. Like, I, I play yeah. it and I always come, like, I came third all week. Wow. My brain just can't. It's not right. I'm, it's, what's it's, happening? It's, it's, it's got this weird thing of delayed gratification where you can't fill up all the rows in a round. And then obviously when you take tiles from these these the, the way that you collect tiles in Azul, you pull them off what are, I don't know whether they're called factories, but these little circular factory pads, offerings. Yeah. Factory See, offerings. I learned that. And you, I can't win. That's not but fair. But you, you pull the, you know, some of the tiles off and then some of the rest go in a dump in the middle and later you can reach into the dump in the middle. There's a lot of delayed gratification in it where... You know, you can have a couple of rounds of play and you were like, oh, I just needed one more blue tile and you're just gone. That things happen. And I'm good at games where you don't, where you're an idiot and you don't plan anything (laughs) and you just improvise. And Azul is, for me, is lots of improvising of like, I kind of can do this right now and I can't do that, so I'll do this. An interesting thing, uh, one of the only talks I went to see this week was Jeff Engelstein, Mm -hmm. who talked about um, randomness and actually uh, a very simple distinction that he brought up, which I just kind of had this moment of going, oh, this is such an easy way of actually explaining like randomness in games and why sometimes people say, I don't like this game because it's random. And it comes down to in-point randomness and out-point randomness. And in-point randomness games are games in which you're dealt a random state and then given the tools to deal with it, which are 100% like... And it's always it's not either or. Games can have a combination of both. Mm-hmm. But in-point means, you know, here's a mess, and then you can deal with it in a ways that you know you will do this, and this will definitely happen. Mm. So actually, recent video game Into the Breach, for anyone who plays digital games, is a perfect example of that, actually. But there are lots of board games like this. And actually we think it's like more tactical and I love this kind of game of being like the board state is crazy how are you going to do the best thing that you can with it I'm very good at that type of game okay. whereas outpoint randomness is like the game itself is fairly stable but then you play things that may or may not have effects and it, it sounds like Azul is more of a kind of like 
just deal with what you can now rather than yeah, planning ahead. I think so. Yeah, it, I think that's what works for me. It's like that uh, uh, the comment that um, when you're playtesting your game, when uh, people say that they uh, don't like something and have a solution. Their solution is always wrong. Yeah. You can ignore that. <laughs> Throw that away. But what they say they don't like is true. Mm-hmm. So when people say, oh, this game's too random, it's like, okay, you don't... The, what they're actually saying is, I don't like the kind of randomness in this game. Yeah, exactly. It's not, but it's, the, the solution is not that it needs to be less random. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's where it exists, and uh, some people like certain things and don't other. I think I enjoy both, but I think I definitely find myself more frustrated when you're playing games where perhaps you put down cards and then reveal them and things don't happen. And actually, it's funny, I've talked to a whole bunch of people this week about Gloomhaven, who've bought and played it off the back of my review, yeah. and had some really interesting conversations about how people have been getting on with that. And I think especially... As I found, I, with you know, and I mentioned in the review, when people play with three or four, you do have a lot more of that output randomness of people putting down a card and then it gets to their turn and their card doesn't do anything because yeah. the monster they were going to hit is dead. And yeah. sometimes people can be quite, I'm quite breezy with that when I'm like, oh, you know, didn't happen. But sometimes people get quite mad about that if they've invested um, some thought into the process. Mm, yeah, know? like Forbidden Stars is like that as well. Like you know, you do all this stuff and you play these cards, and it might just be that like your big play just didn't really <laughs> materialize. Yeah, and you know what? It's something it, when we reviewed Twilight Imperium Fourth Edition, we're bouncing all over the place in this podcast. So. I knew we would. No, Apologies in advance. If, it's been a long if week. this is your first shut up and sit down podcast, we usually are a little cleaner than this. Uh, but hey, if you know your board games, then this is probably fun for you. Um, but the funny thing about the combat in Twilight Imperium 4th Edition, a big, crazy space opera game, when I reviewed that, um, I commented that I really like the dice combat because mm-hmm. the combat is you just push ships together and then you just roll a load of dice. Yeah. And they're like numbered dice because it has a very 1980s old school um, uh, combat resolution mechanic. But because players know it's really just rolling dice, players tend to not be as annoyed if like, oh, I'm going to beat you, and then they don't win despite mm-hmm. the fact that the odds were in their favour. Yeah. Whereas something like Forbidden Stars, I do find really frustrating because yes. when you have like decks and custom dice and all these other mechanics, that hints that this is a tactical game. When actually, yes. it's equally random. Um, it's But it's like falsifying that randomness. I, I find yeah. that really interesting for TI, that it's a game where so many things in it are deliberate and... You know, there are so many dependabilities in your economy that I know I can build this and I know this turn I can move this many spaces and I have this many resources and then you get in a fight and it's just, whatever's going to (laughs) happen. And this is also a thing that I found more, I found more amusing about Ex Libris is the fact that you have... Have we even described what Ex Libris is yet? uh, Let's do that right now. Here we go. It's a library building game where you make some shelves. Oh, you know what? We have talked about this on a previous podcast. Yeah, I'm sure, because I remember you guys talking about it and me sounding like that. Sounds really interesting. Well, it's a library building game where you make some shelves. You just want to put cards that are books down in alphabetical order. Uh, but whatever one you start with, like maybe you start with M because that's the middle of the alphabet and you build left and right and up and down from that and try and build around it in a way that's alphabetical. Yeah. And surely if you know how many cards are in the deck and you've got a guide that tells you like there are eight M's or ten M's or this many U's, you'll be like, oh, you know, I don't need to a gap between my N and my P because I won't get any O's. Yeah, and then can... you draw a whole hand of O's. Yeah, <laughs> you can choose to like skip letters, but then if you skip a letter, then yeah. there's not a lot you can do about that. But yeah. Yeah, basically you have that. to make a. You end up making basically a grid of cards, which is in this, the ordered tradition of a traditional library shelf. So it has to have a a at the very top mm-hmm. of the shelf, or it doesn't. It can start with C or whatever. But I really liked it because it kind of felt like a gut game, and gut games are the ones I like the most. Where okay, yeah. you kind of can't plan it out and number it out too much. Yep. You just sort of think, all right. Especially when it's choosing to make a new layer on the shelf, you're like, all right. Well, I'm, this shelf is, goes up to G. 
and I've got this pee, and I'm going to have a pee, but, you know, <laughs> where do... No. Uh, <laughs> but you think, where am I going to put this? Like, is it going to be in the centre of the shelf yeah. below or further to the right? And I just found when I was playing it, I was sort of, like, roughly looking at the structure of the alphabet on the little cheat card and yeah. just putting stuff down in a way that I thought, that'll probably work. And you know what? At the end of the game, I literally, I was not being a real mean man I was oh, like Quinns Quinns come and look at my shelf are you like, good at books I was like I just want to show Quinns like my shelf I've made I made this really neat really neat long shelf that uh, scored me lots of points I'm looking forward to uh, Paul's video review of that which will be live in a couple of weeks from now mm, maybe, maybe maybe even, even this sooner, week like I filmed a lot of it really just needs to be edited cool there you go sounds like you have to do that now with videos uh, no uh, no. It's true. What? Yeah. <laughs> Let's uh, <clears throat> close our RGDC discussion with Puzzle Gami. Oh, this was my favorite thing that I hadn't played already. So, uh, if people want to Google this, I don't know if they can because I don't... Well, it's definitely not published and I don't know if it has a web presence. But I, I mm-hmm. think they do. Yeah, Puzzle Gami. If you look for it, they, will, they will, did have okay. cards which one, had One word, on. right? Puzzle Gami. Yeah, Puzzle Gami. So it's like origami, but puzzle. Um, it's a something which is currently a, a prototype, really, but it's kind of they feel like they're almost finished with the design of it, and they're looking for a publisher. And um, basically, it is an origami game, which is a single-player thing for solving puzzles. Mm-hmm. And it's an origami game in a very literal sense. It is just sheets of square paper, and there's some very simple rules involved. And basically, the way it works is, you know, you're not allowed to make a fold on a piece of paper unless there is a line that goes all the way along where that fold would be. And that line is on both sides of the piece of paper you currently have. So you have to, excuse me if I don't explain this well because it's complicated, but you may have a sheet of paper that to begin with, you look at both sides and you go, oh, there's only one line through the middle of this that's on both sides. So you know that your first fold has to be one direction or the other along that. And the objective here is to fold the paper so that these little segments um, of a black circle um, are folded together to create a complete circle. Yeah. So when you look at the piece of paper, you'll see sort of like there's a semicircle here and a quarter circle here and how on earth do I get them to meet yeah and so as you go basically there are like you work out increasingly like you think is that a legal fold yes it mm-hmm. is and you keep doing it and you keep folding it until you go ah bang and suddenly you have this perfect black circle or white circle in the middle of this piece of paper you've got lovely art on the paper it's a and, collaboration uh, yeah between the designer and an artist neither mm-hmm. of whose names we have to hand but both it's of true. them are doing lovely work yeah and it's just these nice things that you hold and you fold and you just toy with until you solve the puzzle and I found I was at this point I was phenomenally hungover um, <laughs> and I tried to play a series of games and struggled I played an interesting prototype for an abstract game and the student quite reasonably asked me afterwards if I had any feedback and as with you guys I've said I honestly I don't really understand abstract games <laughs> so to do that I just sort of play them and I play them badly but in this case I, I tried to play things and found it very difficult and frustrating mm-hmm. I started doing this and I had the complete opposite experience. I found myself, um, I explained it as being like The Witness, which is a video yeah. game, but not annoying. Um, because I found basically, and I, what I worked out I meant in the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just imagining the quote on the back of the box that says, not annoying, Matt Lees. Yeah, no, they can have that. Um, it was basically this this thing of being like, okay, this this is tricky I can't work it out yeah. but usually at that point especially in a puzzle game that is like a video game thing I will get frustrated and I'll start just trying to do things to just Almost try and around it yeah. but you can't do that without thinking to a degree you're still like engaged and you just get bored and fed up and you want to work it out whereas with this 
because it was a physical thing I was doing, I would try something and I'd be thinking about it and I'd be trying to suss it out logically and work out what I was doing, but then I'd be like, oh, I can't. So then I'd just zone out and I wouldn't be trying to solve the puzzle, ostensibly, consciously. Mm-hmm. I'd just be playing with this piece of paper and folding it back and forth and doing stuff and maybe just talking to someone next to me and actually just not really concentrating. And then I'd zone back in again and go, okay. And it meant that there was never a point where I was frustrated. I just found that my focus zoned in and zoned out of the puzzle but it was like kind of like knitting or meditation. I, I found knitting is a great comparison. Oh, yeah. Interesting. And I just found that actually, even when I wasn't having great success with the puzzles, because they got quite hard. Yeah. Um, I just was enjoying the sensation of holding a piece of paper and folding it. That's and playing it. with it. And then I had lovely moments where I would occasionally just be doing it and I wouldn't be thinking about it. And I'd suddenly look down and I'd go, oh, I've done it. And it would be actually really beautiful. And because it's this nice thing about suddenly having this clean circle appearing neatly, it had that same satisfaction that the best video computer puzzle games have of just feeling like everything suddenly aligns and you go, ooh. There are loads of games on the iPad to do with like uh, tilting or or folding or reorganizing shapes, but Mm -hmm. doing it in your hands and looking down and and feeling feeling the object get tighter and denser and then you flip it. Yeah, that's very different. Yeah, and it's it's wonderful. Especially as you go on, you start to actually have to use origami folds in order to solve the puzzle. And so again, it's like, I think... Weird, like, where you uh, sort of fold the paper and open it like a cup. Yes, Mm. there's odd stuff where you do... I mean, if you've ever done origami, there's strange things where you end up bending and flipping and stuff in, in interesting ways. And um, yeah, no, I just found it like, I, you kind of once you get to that stage, you're like, oh no, this is a level of 3D complexity you just cannot do. You can't process unless it. Unless it's paper. In, in because your, if, you, oh, right. if you tried to do it like in a 3D space, it would be like, but if you just leave your hands to it, then they just sort of work it out. So this, this is all sort of done as a solo experience where it's a, each one is a different solo challenge? Exactly. Yes, I was also hungover. I wish, it hadn't, I wish it had been a solo challenge for me. However, Matt goes, oh, go and, go and play this. And I went over and I loved the idea and I loved the design and I sat yeah. down and I'm folding my little piece of paper and it's all nice. And then a troublingly intelligent uh, student from New York University's uh, game design program sat down opposite me and just proceeded to solve the puzzles one after another, and then I got terrible anxiety. And oh, no. oh, no, yeah. Oh, but it, I found it a fascinating thing. I loved it, and I kept saying to people, and again, it's that thing of like when you're making recommendations to people, yes. and then they try it straight away, I always get the same kind of anxiety of being like, oh, I hope that they're... But people coming over, and I was just saying, this is wonderful. Like, this is one of the coolest things I've done in ages. And people were like, yeah? <laughs> it just sort of looks like some bits of paper. But then people sat down, and they were like, immediately just like this is lovely it immediately sounds interesting to me and it immediately sounds appealing as like a big mental challenge but it's not something I can I cannot something I can imagine seeing in a traditional game shop it's something I could almost imagine Mm. seeing in a shop like uh, Paper Chase yeah I believe he was talking to publishers to sell as a book yeah exactly so you uh, tear them out page and you you rip out each puzzle and then you know you can do a bit of words around or about the puzzle but I just thought it was a lovely thing and uh, a really really smart simple piece of game design yeah really enjoyed here's hoping Puzzle Gami finds uh, puzzle publisher. Yes, absolutely. Okay. We now welcome a special guest, Lee Alexander. Hello. She's, she's also my wife. Yeah. Hi, honey. How's it going? I'm good, babe. How are you? I'm, I'm doing a podcast. It's fine. Know, are you having fun with your friends? Should we fun <laughs> to it. Uh, yeah, as we're all losing our voices at this point, but you invented a new game this week, right? Well, not me personally. Um, one of the funnest things that I did uh, was on the last day of GDC, um, some friends and I got together. We brought our tarot decks, um, and our intention was to play a tarot battle game 
that um, my friend Clarice had read some rules for on the internet. But as she was trying to explain the rules to us, we kind of, we found it not only dense and difficult to learn, but not very tarot-like. Um, mm. It was very numerological. Um, and it, What would you describe as the sort of like foundation of tarot for people who aren't familiar with it? So tarot is a series of tools for helping process and think about problems in your life. Helps you construct stories that give you insight um, about how you can handle certain situations and gives you ways to think about the future. Mm. Um, yeah, so there are a series of images and different numerical suits that combine in different contexts um, and, and can be read for information. So we sort of started making up our own game collaboratively <laughs> mm-hmm. um, on the fly and and it was very true to the spirit of tarot um, which is sort of about intuition um, you know there are there are ways to read the tarot but they are, they're not governed by rigid rule sets um, so there's a lot of uh, intuition and interpretation um, and and spirituality to it so the fact that you know someone would suggest a new rule and we would discuss and, and accept it um, you know you could sort of suggest um, different ways the cards could interact so long as you could support them through the narrative of tarot. Um, so we made up a game uh, we're loosely calling uh, Four Empires. I'm working on the rule set for it now. I think we could call it Four Houses as well, um, where you know you choose a suit from the a card from the Major Arcana to represent yourself, like the Hanged Man or the Fool. Yes, we had a fool. We so that was the the Kingdom of the Reckless Boy Prince. Okay. Um, yeah. So already you can see because the tarot has narrative associations, um, you you can start to tell stories about your kingdom and 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 how you're working with the other the others um and and you you would have your your kingdom card uh you would have three cards defending you and those could be you know so you draw a hand of five um and on your turn you could give a gift to another player which would be to fortify their defenses you could attack the defenses of another player or or you could build your own so but these defenses are sort of like they're not necessarily uh sort of rule-bound things they're more like they represent something that would be defending you? Well, yeah, exactly. So, for example, um, my one of my friends uh, put uh, the empress in her defense and like, oh, we have a noble woman whose who's patronage is supporting the kingdom. Uh, you know, another friend would put a reversed four of pentacles uh in, in her colleague's defense area. It's like, oh, well, now your kingdom is, is, is miserly and suffering from financial problems. So, oh, wow. yeah, so it was really, really fun. And and the cool thing was that, you know, any player could at the same time say that because I'm the fool, you know, I'm going to recklessly take this action, mm-hmm. um, you know, using the death card to remove all cups from the field. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, and we would discuss and collaborate. My role was actually as the interpreter. So we had four kingdoms playing against one another and I would kind of read the action that they took. Uh, and then we'd have to sort of achieve consensus on, on whether that was allowed. Hmm. Uh, we also, we, there was a card representing your unconscious that you only turn over at the end of the game to determine how the narrative is wrapped up. Oh. Um, yeah, so we it was it was pre- really fast and loose. It was really, really exciting to evolve the rule sets, you know, one move at a time until we had something that, you know, after a few moves, we felt confident about knowing how yeah. it worked. It was, um, you know, we obviously like to think that we're pretty familiar and comfortable with board games, but my God, it was, it, I was... It, not intimidated because I wasn't playing, but just watching you guys create a game on the fly and craft this story at the same time, 
it was it was quite the thing to witness. Yeah, we were all we were all tarot readers and all game designers. So um, I mean, tarot <laughs> tarot has you know a loose set of intuitive rules about the way the cards work together. So it was really kind of fun. Well, I, I guess that's the thing is most of the time when people do draw on tarot, they're just drawing the iconography and then they want to like use these things. I mean, even like a video game Persona, which I really love, which draws on this stuff. It's always kind of like it did. It did a very ham-fisted use of the tarot. Yeah. yeah, and so I think it's interesting actually, and lots of people might be like, oh, you know. It's, it's a card game should have rules and stuff but the, point, the whole point of tarot cards is to have this kind of abstraction and the the, yeah. uh, the, the moment where I was like ooh I'm out of my depth uh, when I was watching them play was a player um, played oh, was a seven of swords or something yes. uh, and and talked about what it represented it's like oh and of course this represents you know uh, a sacrifice that someone has made and he had this wonderful warm wrought sentence that he said as he played the card yeah. and all the other players there was a silence and then someone went no, I don't think that's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, so for example, um, at one point, the fool's kingdom was like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to steal your high priestess from your defenses. I'm going to try to lure her to my kingdom. Right. Um, and we say, using what? You know, in order to retain something, you have to sacrifice something. That's what we believe about uh, believe about magic. So uh, he said, I'll, okay, I'll play the chariot. Uh, my beautiful, I'll try, I'll attempt to lure her with my beautiful golden chariot. And I, I thought about it and I said, you know, would would the wise high priestess really be compelled by the reckless and often masculine energy that the chariot represents. And everyone went, nah. Wow. Yeah. And then, and, uh, so we didn't allow it, but we let the fool keep the chariot in his own defense infrastructure. And so um, there's a thing, isn't there, with a tarot deck, there's, it's bigger than a regular deck, oh, right? Oh, yeah. And there's everything has a kind of a narrative tied into the suits and all the different things. And it, whether um, it's played right side up or upside down makes a difference. The meaning is reversed. It tends to be reversed if the card is reversed. So, so all this stuff immediately suggests narrative possibility. They're exactly. all like characters or people. Exactly. Or, the lim- the meaning of a, of a single tarot card by itself is, is really limited. It's more about how the other cards around it create the story. Um, oh, so, really? So yeah. it ties into what's sort of before or what it's next to, what it's before or yes, after? It, yes, absolutely. So, so would that mean in this context, because I really like the way that you can bounce back narrative into mechanics of being like, if you try and make a pitch for what you're doing and then everyone goes, no, then being able to have that card in acts in your defenses gives you more options for defending yourself yes. or more sort of plot beats. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what yeah, I mean. More yeah. options in terms of like scope. And the numerical system to some extent does make some cards stronger than others. So mm-hmm. loosely we can see the relationships between the things power wise. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, storytelling wise as well, we had to accept it. Um, so, yeah, we all worked on it together. It was super fun. Um, and again, because the tarot, car- the meaning of cards is reinforced, the more cards are in play. Mm-hmm. You know, once we had four kingdoms with stable defenses, mm-hmm. you know, it became super interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, we, and, and we realized we could play forever, you know, that we oh, could just keep doing yeah. things to each other. You should absolutely reveal how your game ended. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't... I basically... Uh, so basically we we were looking for a way to end the game and my friend Kat said oh all of a sudden all kingdoms are now stable you know there's no one with a bad card in their defenses maybe that's actually maybe we've been fighting each other but the victory condition is for all of us to be stable yeah. mm. and and my friend Alexi turned over his unconscious card uh, which was the world which means the end of the cycle um, so it means the complete world so like we had that beautiful uncanny moment of meaning that we've decided on mutual completion as our goal and then the card we turned over that had been previously yeah. hadn't reinforced that thematically mm. so we were like I'm getting goosebumps remembering how it wonderful that moment was shocking for us. because it was you know four people who were kind of at loggerheads and competing and then someone just suggested like oh but maybe we could just all win and everyone went 
Yes. And it was like, oh my goodness, that was such a nice moment in a board game that you don't see explored or considered. It's well, so, I mean, so narratively interesting and it makes me think of like some of the best games of Fiasco where players if your players are in the right mindset yes. and they you know, they buy into the world and the characters. I mean, most of us, something. most of us were practitioners, are practitioners of magic, so it really felt like very true to the spirit of our beliefs. It was really, really fun. Um, so yeah, I'm I, I'm going to write down some of the rules that that you know there are some things that are fixed, like the positions of like how to build your kingdom, where the cards go, um, and like that you can only have a hand of five, that you can only do one action on your turn. So yeah, we're going to um, probably build a collaborative rule book of some kind, and 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 hopefully other people can build on it and enjoy Sounds it. We'll be sharing really, really it. Really so to drag it back to Basic Town, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I do remember years ago when I had a I was playing a game of Cosmic Encounter, and I realised suddenly we'd been jostling for first place, and everyone was pretty close. And I, had, I looked at the game state, and I was like, "Hang on, hang on!" And I worked out a way that basically we could all win. I realised if we do this, then everybody wins mm-hmm. at the same time, and we all agreed to do it. And that was the thing again. It's like hang on. I was like, "Whoa, whoa!" And it's collaborative pitch. Like, what if we actually all do this cool move chain, which means everyone wins? And I've met people of the years. Like, some people just like hate the idea. Yeah, that's the really are those people the worst? I don't. It's weird. Like, the idea I mean, of everyone walks away from a table feeling like they. Well, won. the reason we were having so much fun making this game and and adding like each person was in, it's like I'm going to suggest a rule. I'm going to try to do this because I can support it with the cards that I have in my hand. We would be like, yes, you know, like we will. It was for us about creating those moments of of harmony. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we, the game itself of attacking and defending was actually just a device for us to tell, to read tarot yeah. and tell stories together. So but I think it's so vi- fun. I think it's vital that you avoid the fuzziness and it's kind of that anti-improv as well. I think mm-hmm. that's a really important part of it and not being like, yeah, but yeah. being like, no, but rather yeah. yes, and. I was good. That's exactly what I was Because yes, it's just yes. like, you know, within this, it's like, if you're going to have this kind of fuzz that you also need like rigidity, you need right. to have like the space where everyone's like, no, that's not a good well, idea. That's I always true. tell you, babe, we need rules so we can <laughs> well, have fun. I like the, the thing that you just mentioned as well saying obviously some cards have values so there's a bit of structure in there we were all game designers as well you know Mm. we are a gdc so we we all understood that having some kind some loose structure uh, was necessary for us to enjoy subverting the structure or a rigid structure yeah you know, <laughs> or loads of rules. Honey, Why don't we play a board game? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, okay. Well, uh, once the rules are online, we'll absolutely link the. Is yeah, that, sure. Is it somewhere that people will be able to? Yeah, I hope so. It's not only up to me. Um, I'm I'm only speaking for myself, and this was a project that I did with a lot of people. So uh, right. I'm going to wait and see how they feel about it yeah, sure. before I can confirm that. But yeah, I think that it would be. We would like to create something that we could share with others so they could experience this as well. Okay, nice. That's uh, one for people to watch out for in the Shut Up and Sit Down Monday games news hmm. Wait, that, I might not have it done by then no no no, no. <laughs> at some point in the future at some point okay. in 2020 okay. like, like Monday's tomorrow coming soon <laughs> can you do it tonight? Oh, no. no okay and what a wife that was uh, and now we are moving <sighs> on this week we published a, a written review our Eric Tonyes our miniatures correspondent mm. uh, wrote his review of Star Wars Legion and he said Eric Tonyes please that was basically that. Yes, he didn't use those exact words, but I will insist he uses that. In yeah, the I'd like that if we could write that into some form of contract. Oh, we could make a badge like the Shadow Me Sit Down recommends badge. It's the that's Eric Ton. Yes, please. I, uh-huh. I will happily do that. Yeah, no. nice. No. Okay, great. Uh, so, but he wrote his review of Star Wars yes, Legion, he did. the new miniatures game from Fantasy Flight. Um, that is quite unusual for Fantasy Flight because while it's Star Wars and you can have little miniature stormtroopers fight little miniature Luke Skywalker, who's going to win? Let's find out. It, 
uh, it actually involves a lot of assembly. This is a more serious miniatures games where he said, mm. you know, it takes like six hours to assemble everything in the box. Yeah. A lot of glue, a lot of filing off um, the, yeah. where attached to the sprues. Then you've got to paint everything. Um, but yeah, Paul, you have actually played this, right? I have, I have. And uh, I was really pleased that it wasn't, although it's got the same kind of assembly stuff as Warhammer, it's not Star Wars It's not a bad Hammer. game. It's Ooh. no, it's it's so shots fired. <laughs> it's so light. So here's the thing: I'm used to Warhammer being like big handfuls of dice and big units and clunky slow turns and things going back and forth. Legion has this very quick back and forth dynamic where you move a group of uh, soldier shooty people and then the other player moves their group and you even measure kind of a bit fast and loose with this bendy measurey thing. And I'm down with if that, one yeah. person's in cover, they're kind of all in cover. And you you quickly go back and forth, and there's even sort of a li- the occasional little bit of randomness where it's like I'm going to flip a token to see what group I get to move yeah. because of the randomness of battle. And oh, I like this because I actually want to play a miniatures combat game that feels rough and messy like a real fight would be. Yeah, he said in his review that there's this nice mechanic in it, and correct me if I'm wrong, Paul, um, whereby you have a bag, a star bag, as I call it, <laughs> and um, a star bag. Stop it. Thank you. So what's in the bag is some unit tokens. Uh, and so every time you have a regiment or a person, um, you put that token in the bag, and then on your turn you reach into the bag, and who's moving? It's Luke Skywalker. <gasps> I know. Um, but the point, he was yes. saying that uh, actually that was one of the problems with the core set, because if you're just playing with one core set... Um, it's another Stormtrooper. Uh no, it's that you only have four units per side. Yeah. Okay. Right. So it's like it's like a one in four thing. So after a few turns, you know what's coming out the bag because you've only mm-hmm. got four mm-hmm. units. You've got Darth Vader, uh, some spike. What are they called? Speeder, Speeder bikes? bikes and like um, a walkie shooty boy and some rebel soldiers and like one lady. All the <laughs> oh yeah, there's one I rebel think lady. Maybe two or I don't know. Not there aren't many. Uh, yes, although they are producing a Leia miniature, which what, is one the, more. One more woman. How many do we need? more than that uh, so yeah but he was saying that you need like seven or eight people on a side to have this bag so, yeah of... make it a bit more exciting yeah yeah it's I mean I still like a bit of unpredictability oh, there sorry I forgot the more important thing but he was saying that yeah. was very Star Wars they're like who's gonna move next and then it's like yeah. it's almost like the camera cuts to like you know yes. when you're watching a Star Wars film it's like when is it gonna cut back to the guy in the X-Wing and like maybe they tease you and it doesn't come back for a while and you're like they need that X-Wing and then it cuts to the guy in the X-Wing <laughs> he's here he's here and so actually <laughs> mechanically that works really well for a Star Wars miniatures game that sounds really it, fun yeah I guess it does you never know when Steven X-Wing will move his X-Wing next it's <laughs> <laughs> it, and to, to speak briefly Do to any Matt, Star Wars fans still listen to this podcast? No. We quite um, like Star Wars, we should say. We just yeah, like, it's fun. We just enjoy teasing Star Wars fans more. Yeah, to, absolutely. To speak to that, though, I mean, the difference... It felt markedly different to X-Wing and markedly different to Armada. Like, Armada actually does feel slow and deliberate and ponderous, mm. and then X-Wing feels... Uh, like everyone's running out of stamina and getting stressed, and Legion is just a boop, 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 do things really quick. And I would actually like... To play it with like a chess clock or something as well, okay. Because I don't like the plodding calculation I was of gonna Warhammer style. Ask like, about precisely that, yeah. measuring. And that's the thing is, I was going to say like just to caveat this for all the people who haven't already angrily fired up the comments thread on the website. But obviously, Warhammer. When I say it's a bad game, I'm referring mainly to the Warhammer I played when I was a child, and I've heard the new system is better. Whether or not it's good, I don't know. <laughs> well, interestingly, we had uh, Eric Tonius uh, who yeah. <laughs> 
Minish is just such a big field generally and Eric yes. is such a great writer that we yeah. do feel comfortable having one person to compare all the miniatures games together. Yes. We really like the work Eric does. But uh, I think the last review he did before this was his review of the new Warhammer 40,000. Mm-hmm. And his review as someone who plays like all of the miniatures games yeah. was that it's way better yeah, and it's faster but it's still super weird and clunky but yeah. he was saying that just undeniably that world is so evocative exactly yeah. like, I love the setting and I think that's always why when I look back on the version of the game I played as a child it always I look think of it as being bad it's just because I love the setting I love the miniatures and it was just it was always disappointing to realise at a young age that maybe the game isn't good well, um, well but I that's was life completely ignorant of that as a kid because what other miniatures games were there I mean there might have been not some not very I many I not with that kind of scale and, and that's the thing that Warhammer, I guess, is always going to have. It's going to have lots of scale, lots of detail. And but that's going to actually know, work for some people, the thing which is, is fine. When I was young, I didn't know it was a bad game. I played it. It just I found it really frustrating and really slow. And it wasn't until I was older and able to look back on it and go, oh, no, that's because it wasn't very good. But anyway, yeah, the problem was, the thing I was going to ask about is does this kind of randomness of being pulling the tokens out and having it stop the analysis paralysis a bit more and have people being like, well, I guess I'm doing this now? Or does I, it? I think it does somewhat, actually. And I, I like that. I like the fact that you, you can have a loose idea of what you want to do in a battle and like oh these these folks are going to advance and these folks are going to shoot and cover them and all this and then oh that happens slightly out of order and this person's moved slightly out of order and this again going back to a little bit about what I said about Azul earlier I kind of like adapting to things that happen in games rather than making long plans Yeah, and a gunfight being a shooty gunfight in real-world gunfight situations is a bit messy it's not someone with a clipboard going you can move six inches in 10 minutes time it's like everyone's shooting at me I should hide behind a rock the suppression token sounded interesting as well oh I'm trying to remember now yeah you can pin you can suppress folks um, that classic Star Wars thing of oh storm tr- I'm Wait, I, I was being serious though. Yeah. I was just like yeah people being suppressed that's Star Wars I did, when I was playing it there was why don't they just let of, the rebels um, live their lives it's a good question help, help I'm being suppressed exactly um yeah, no, that it's. I feel like it's a game about movement or trying to prevent people from moving. And I, the game, like I played a show game at uh, Pack South, and we actually had like Luke and Darth Vader charge into each other and hit each and start fighting, and that felt right. And the fact that you can throw people into close proximity to each, it's a game that encourages you to move. Right, and I think that's great. And I, yeah, I, I'm not trying to actually knock Warhammer because I've had loads of fun with it, but Warhammer does have lots of units that sit at the edge of the game board and just... Yeah, shoot. I mean, I've been playing Drop Zone Commander, which is another Eric Tonyo's game, but it is all about movement, and it's all about picking units up with your little dropships and flying. Yeah. Where's the tank going? He's going yeah. over there. Lovely. Oh, no, he lost his dropship. Can't move him anymore. But the thing about miniatures games being... We think of miniatures games as being defined by miniatures, but actually the thing that separates a miniatures game from anything else is like three-dimensional space, right? It's an enormous board covered in scenery. So movement, I feel like, should be the core of any miniatures game because miniatures are cool, but they, they don't do anything they're just sort of physical representations yeah unless you love the the models yes which is of course a whole thing but yeah Yeah. what i'm saying is that movement seems to be the core of a lot of miniatures games that i play that feel great like x-wing like drop zone commander like now infinity as well like yes Mm. yeah so i and i'm not i should add the caveat here that i'm not that excited about miniatures and i probably probably won't buy this and collect all the miniatures and paint them but just sitting down and playing something and it feeling right straight away within like five minutes of me picking it up and understand nice. it, and those broad concepts that you can understand of how just 
you can see who's in distress. You can see what you need to that do. That matters, you, can see you know, and that matters. It's just that layman jumping in, I don't really care too much about this, but I'm having fun, is actually really important because a lot of the time when people talk about miniatures games, they come from a perspective of, I love these plastic minis, they're so cool, I can't wait to paint them and keep them. Or, yeah. I love this setting so much. It's like, you know, when we played Shadespire, like Shadespire is a pretty fun, basic little game. The Warhammer... It's- Gang combat game. Yeah, Warhammer yeah. gang combat two-player. It's not bad. I don't think it's great either, mm-hmm. but lots of people love it. And that's fine because they really love the minis and they really love the setting. And if you love it, that's really cool. But I think sometimes from my perspective, it's like a good gauge of whether or not something is really good is when you have people who come in and they don't really care, but they have a good time. Yes. Yeah. So you know. Well said, man. Um, finally, let's end with a game that a lot of people want to hear us talk about. I want to hear Paul talk about. Oh, Oh, not Age of Steam. Choo-choo, mother flubbered. It's a train time. Train language there. Yep. So people might not be aware that train games are a whole genre of board games. There's literally hundreds of them. They have a very strong fan base. And, you know, we we like to think of ourselves broad-minded here at Shut Up and Sit Down. We've been trying to play train games. Matt and I played Rail Race... Railways of the world. Railways of the world. Railways. <laughs> and and we it were, was fine. And we were told that wasn't the right railway. No. The, the railway we should have been railwaying <laughs> was uh, Age of Steam. It's like in real life. People say, oh, I don't like trains. And people say, you should try a train. And you get on a train and then people say you're on the wrong train. It's yeah. Brighton. And you're like, what do you mean? I don't want to go there. And then you think, I'm never going on trains again. So I'm sending Paul on a train. So you're saying that trains are like wine. Yeah. All Just right. Drink them all until you find the right one. What do you think about Age of Steam? So, and you, this was at where? Um, this was at the Arizona Game Fair in Phoenix, and, in Arizona, and near a cactus. <laughs> yeah, I saw you were really excited. You'd like leave the convention center to look, look at cactuses. At, I, you would, you got this sprung on you this game, didn't you? Get I trapped. did. By Edward from Heavy Cardboard. Uh, yeah, uh, taught by Heavy Cardboard, and we should say here, Heavy Cardboard, lovely, lovely YouTube uh, series and uh, podcast mostly, where they talk about heavy, big. Heavy games. <laughs> more serious things, more involved things. Although that, to, to say that, Age of Steam was actually quite accessible. There's a lot going on in this game, but it's none of it is too deep. Okay. So you've got, like, uh, we played, I think, with what is the original default map, which is a bit of the Rust Belt of the US, and you've got all these towns that are just waiting to be connected by train tracks. Who, who's going to do it? Who's going to connect well, the towns? Well, you, me, all of us playing are going to put down our train tracks... Uh, and then we can all of these towns have cubes in them that are different colours and those cubes desperately want to get to a town of the same colour so you might have like a yellow cube in a in a purple town and if you could work out a route through okay. direct or indirect through other towns where you can take that cube home it'll be happy you'll get money but the map starts empty so you have to lay down your bits of tracks you have to put trains on those your trains start really slow so you've got to upgrade your trains you also start with Matt are you okay <laughs> you also start with not very much money and there's this clever economic engine whereby you've got to borrow shares yeah. to get cash yeah uh, thing is, what I don't. I want to interject here because you keep looking at me as if, if like, oh, no. I love trains. I just find you really boring. All right, that's fine. Um, um, <laughs> wow, I'm joking. It's not, it's not like we work together or anything. No. Anyway, so no, it's got a clever like economic thing whereby you're borrowing a lot at the start, so you're hoping that you end up with a self-sustaining system that makes lots of cash. Because uh-huh. at the end of the game, if you've borrowed lots of money, then you're not going to do as well as people have earned a lot. 
The root. You're both looking at me like this is the worst thing ever. No, no. honestly, I, honestly, <laughs> I, was, I was joking with you there, right? I was joking with you. Honestly, it's just been an incredibly long week. I don't want your excuses. A lot of late nights, I'm, and I'm very tired. I'm stuck on that. Like you know, we're told we played Railways of the World. We did it. We got sent. A, Matt got like eight kilograms of train to his house. Yeah, and, and we played it, and it's like, no, nah, it's the wrong one. And what you're describing came exactly, exactly the same. Exactly the same. But I oh, know no. we do also know that like. There is there's the, nuance within the nuance a genre. within yeah, that actually makes a game pop or not, well, and it may just be. But, but, then, <laughs> but, then, but then honestly, the thing is, when he's describing all these things, I actually get excited. Like as soon as it's like you're making tracks between places so you can deliver things, and you're upgrading your trains to get faster. I'm listening to you talking about more places, and I'm going like, I want to play this. Yeah, it sounds well, great. But then I know that I probably would play it, and I'd be like, I'll tell you it's what, not I as great as I want. I mean, the, the fundamental, the train track thing is, uh, it's like you want to build a route first and you want to block other people with your routes, which is a very easy to understand concept. The share thing takes a little while to get used to, but once you see how it works, like I was a bit behind the curve, but by the end of the game, so I was the sh- like... So stocks and shares are a, th- are a mechanic that tends to be in a lot of train games that I am yeah. really interested in. So it's, it, that, that's got some um, depth here, because it's, in Railways um, of the World, we could just take loans. It, I wouldn't say it's got a lot of depth. It's just okay. it's about timing. It's about when you <laughs> when you borrow it and how much and hopefully yourself. Uh, so you're selling um, stocks in your own company, Paul. So, do you I, like? Did you enjoy playing this train game? So two things. Yeah, I did. I had a good time with okay, it. Okay, cool. Uh, I don't think I'd recommend it to most people because I think it's a bit too dry. <laughs> well, it's too dry. A bit okay. too dry. Um, and physically not like massively appealing. But I would play it again. But the reason I would play it again is I would play a different map because what they do for Age of Steam, they just have endless maps yes. of different places. Same, unsurprisingly, with Railways of the World. And what I like about that is if you were to constantly play different maps, you don't get that thing where you have that person who's been playing it for 20 years and they know all the best setups and the best opening moves. I like the idea of a game almost like it's randomly you know generating what, different maps. You know what's better than that is, um, and it's, it, well, it's hot. Yes, bees. I love bees. What's your favorite bee? Um, I like the ones that are black and yellow. I came out of my house the other day and there was an, an, an older woman and she was looking. I thought at, you were say there was a massive bee. But, well, <laughs> well, it's funny you say that, Paul, because there was an older woman looking at the floor and she was staring like close to her feet. And I was like, what are you looking at? And so I just looked at her and she looked up at me and realized I was looking at her. And she pointed at the floor and said, it's a bumblebee. <laughs> and that's the end of that story. Did I tell you about the gnomes this week? The, gnome, the gnomes. <laughs> there was a point when I was walking around UDC in the middle of this very large carpeted hall. And in the middle, and I thought I almost stepped on something. And I suddenly looked down to go, oh no, what did I step on? And in the middle of this, just a sea of carpet effectively with no one around for any, anywhere. I looked down and there were three tiny garden gnomes perched on the corner of three corners of a fidget spinner just, <laughs> just gently spinning and I just I was very tired and I just stared at it for about ten seconds and then just and then I sort of looked up and saw somebody else I knew about 20 feet away and I just walked straight over to them and went Look over there. <laughs> there, are, there are three doors on a fidget spinner. And then they looked at me as if I was insane. And then looked down and saw it. And, and they just sincerely turned to me and said, thank you. That's so, the best thing that's happened to me all day. So, I'll, so yeah. I'll say two really quick things. On the favourite bees subject, there is a bee film that stars Michael Caine. I can't... Oh, yeah. It's called yeah. That, like, The Bees it, or something. It's and called it's set like a, in, a Bee's Life. But yeah. It's not. set in, uh, I think, Texas or something. And all these killer bees are invading the US. Yep. And it's extremely bad. 
because things happen <laughs> like people have arguments and there are long pauses before they say their next lines and then a bunch of bees take down a helicopter <laughs> and look, flying near it and all the people in the helicopter go ah and crash it is amazing and then also speaking for con madness you both know this already but i just want to say this i was waiting for my pizza to be served and there was nobody near me at all and i saw a dog and i say the thing that i always say when i see a dog which was look at that dog and there was nobody around so I'm just a guy in a pizza parlor going look at that dog by himself do you do you heard I should definitely get this to the podcast but you heard my Starbucks story right no oh what a what a treat so I go to Starbucks it's Thursday I'm exhausted and people have been coming through the lounge all the time and uh, they keep saying hi they keep oh you know I like the show and all that stuff and then I'm in Starbucks and I place my order and the guy says what's your name yeah for the order and I don't hear him so I go what and he goes what's your name and I go, what? Because I can't process what you're saying. And the woman next to him goes, it's Quentin. And I'm like, <gasps> yeah. And so I, I look at her. And because American service industry, she maintains eye contact and she smiles at me. And so I like do a sort of gesture. With my, I open my eyes wide like, really, you? And and then I do a thing with my hands, like a half like plaintive, like like I'm not reaching out to her exactly, but I, I'm opening my palms to her. Like, oh, yeah. Hey, hey, is yeah. you, are you? A, are you and, I don't, and I'm just about to be like, are you a fan? And, and then I and, and, I, I, and I look down and realize I've got my GDC name badge yeah. like hanging <laughs> about 18 inches below my head. Oh gosh! And I told that to Matt, and he laughed so loud that everyone at the board game lounge sort of was looking. Yeah, <laughs> it was an explosion. I mean, I had a thing that happened several times. This week where like I just walked in back to our board game area really hungover really tired walked in and just saw someone walking towards me and I just went out and <laughs> gently raised my hand out and said hey how's it going nice to meet you because you know lots of people were waiting for us to come back yeah. and they want to say hi or talk to us and then this guy was like William do you want to grab a coffee and I was like I'm not William <laughs> and it was just like this happened like two or three times where people had arranged to meet someone there and then they saw someone walking in they were like this must be them and then they were so confused because they were like why did you why would you assume that I my hand? Like, it's been a fun week. Anyway, what do you think about bees? Would you recommend no, the concept no, of bees? No, would no, you no, buy bees? No, the, wait. I'm, I'm, amazingly, I'm whipping us back to what I was saying before. But like, yes, different maps are yeah. good, but people can learn different maps. And what I was really impressed by that I wasn't expecting to like as much as I did, mm-hmm. there's an, the first Concordia expansion. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say. Concordia Salsa adds this thing called Forum Tiles, and like, rather than it being like, we're going to play this new map, which Concordia also has, but like, that means you need to buy a new map every time. And you can still learn maps, whereas the forum tiles, there's like dozens and dozens and dozens of little things that change the rules for you. Essentially like really deeply mundane versions of the alien powers from Cosmic Encounter. Yeah. So it's like, Paul, you're going to play Concordia now, but when you do a merchant action, you can do it. You can trade three things instead of two. And it's not that interesting, but it does mean that you're just playing Concordia with slightly different rules. And it makes it, like you say, adaptive to a new rule set. Mm. Um, so it doesn't necessarily matter that some of the powers are a bit better than the others because it's still saying you have to play the game differently. I think you're right. And I think actually like it is just comes down to good design. And if, if your answer to design to keep things fresh and make sure that people can't get like stuck into knowing the game too well is to create lots of big extra cardboard maps, I think that's just not great design. It's fun. It's really fun. And I'm not saying people shouldn't do it because, yeah, it's great fun. Like to be like, where do we want to go? And we, even with Concordia, we're like, we're going to do Egypt. This is going to be great. Mm. But I think, yeah, I, I think that there's, there's more inventive ways to, to, sure, to sure. add that. That's and on the Egypt board, you can you start in a city. And Matt said, "What city do we start in?" And I said, oh, "We'll be starting in Memphis." Uh, yeah, that was great. It was, and also I get to keep kept got to keep saying, "You're in denial." <laughs> 
which Why? was really funny. What was he in denial about? Because there's a river which is called the Nile, and um, and I built some trading posts. You know, they've got a lot of pu- the gods in Egypt now have a lot of public transport. They've got a yeah. new bus. Oh, right on. <laughs> oh, should we end the podcast? Thank you, thank you so much for listening. Ding ding. <laughs> if Two you have been affected by any of the issues raised in this podcast, contact at shutupandsitdown.com if you'd like to see uh, links to all the games and the content we've done for those games, like videos and written reviews. You can find all of that on shutupandsitdown.com and then click on the button labeled Podcastle. I've been Quentin Smith. You have, and you always will be. I'm yes. Matt Lee sometimes. I don't care about who you are. This was about me. It is about you. If this is guys being Quentin Smith. Paul, can you tell us who this this has been? Uh, um, Paul Dean. Look no, at no, that no, no, it's Paul. no. Can you no. tell us who this Look has been? Look at that dog. <laughs> <laughs> Look at him. Bye. Bye.